It had been 120 long years. And God spoke to a man and gave him specific instructions for how to lay hold of the salvation that God wanted to provide for him and his family. For 120 years, they had undertaken a monumental project that was absolutely staggering in size. Board by board and level by level, Noah and his family built a gigantic ark, a boat that would save them from the impending floodwaters of God's judgment. For 120 years, nobody believed Noah's preaching until the day it started to rain. By the time it started to rain and that day came, it was too late for anyone else to believe and respond. God, at that point, had already called Noah and his family up into that boat, and God himself had closed the one door that was the access point for salvation. And after 120 long years, all the faith of Noah and all the work of Noah had its results. And Noah and his family were saved from that terrible judgment of God on the wickedness and sin of mankind. I want to turn your attention in Scripture this morning to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. I'm going to read about five verses, but there's one verse in particular this morning that I want to focus our attention on for a little while. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 in the New King James Version says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. Verse 21, there is also an antitype which now saves us. There's something which corresponds to that story of Noah and salvation that now saves us. And that thing is baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, so not the same thing as taking a bath in a physical sense, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. You may be seated this morning. I want to preach this morning about when you are baptized, when you are baptized. I preached last Sunday morning about when you repent, and I want to make sure to establish before I go any further today that faith and repentance are the foundation of salvation. Faith and repentance must occur before somebody is water baptized. That's because before there's ever a physical aspect that takes place, salvation is first of all a work of the heart. It's something that God begins 
in the spirit, in the heart of a person. I've heard people say before that God, they'll say, well, God knows my heart. And we've, I've heard it said in such a way to where it seems like they're almost using it as a spiritual security blanket. But I want to point out some scriptures to us that tell us that God knowing our heart isn't the spiritual security blanket that we sometimes think it to be. The prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 said that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The psalmist wrote in Psalm 51 verse 5, I was in this passage last Sunday morning, says I was born in sin and I was shapen in iniquity. There's a story in 1 Samuel chapter 16 when the prophet of God is anointing the future king of Israel, David, and the prophet of God says this, God doesn't see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. The truth of it is this, that you need a complete work of salvation in your life that begins at the heart level. And covers every dimension and category of your life. So you must have faith. And you must repent of your sin. Instead of going my direction, I need to go God's direction. That's what repentance is all about. There has to be a forgiveness of sin. There needs to be a contrition and a, a sorrow for sin. Where we say, God, I've, I've trespassed against you. I've been doing it my way. But now I'm going to do it your way. There has to be that moment of faith that God can and will forgive sin and that moment of God forgive me of my sin and I'm going to consecrate myself and instead of doing it my way, I'm going to do it your way. When you do that, the scripture says that you must be baptized. Can I get something out of the way this morning before we go any further? You can't baptize yourself. That's why it's important you must be a part of the church. I know that's very, very simple. That every time you've probably seen someone baptized, there's been a second person. There's been somebody that actually is administering the baptism. But that tells us something important. That we need one another and we can't live for God as an island. You can't baptize yourself. And when you're baptized... You're, there's a spiritual component to it where God is doing a sovereign work in your life, and I'm going to get to that. But before we get to that, I want to point out the obvious today and say that when you're baptized, there's something that happens with the fellowship of the saints where you say, I'm going to connect myself to what God is doing in real life. There's some people that I'm going to become associated with because they're going the same place I'm going, and I can't do this on my own. When you're baptized, there's someone there that's agreeing with you and saying God is doing something in your life. Probably more than one person a lot of times that's saying, I'm bearing witness. There's something spiritually powerful happening here. And I'm going to be with you every step of the way. I believe in you. I believe in what God's doing in your life. What a joy it is to be a part of the church. That we don't have to do it on our own. But we have one another, and we have God. 
when we go down in those waters of baptism, the old person, the old you goes down into those waters and a new person comes up. You go down dirtied by sin, but you come up completely washed and clean. That's what happens when you're baptized. When you're baptized, your sin is not just forgiven, but it's put into remission. There's a common misconception about living for God sometimes and being baptized. That one, the, the, the misconception is this, that somebody can have an experience like I'm describing where they believe and they, they repent of their sins and they are baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of their sins. And the misconception is sometimes that they can even be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and then go on living however you want to live. Not giving any particular attention to sin or eliminating sin out of your life. Not just eliminating things, but actively pursuing God and pursuing holiness and pursuing that which is pleasing to God. It's a misconception that exists in our day, and it's even a misconception that existed 2,000 years ago in the first generation of the church. In fact, the Apostle Paul addresses it in Romans chapter 6, and it ties into our topic this morning of baptism, and I want to read it in your hearing. Romans chapter 6. This was, this was written to people that had experienced what I'm describing. They had repented of their sin, been baptized, filled with the Spirit, and Paul is writing to a church in the city of Rome, and he writes these words because there was this common misconception. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not, he says. God forbid. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many as us were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? I said, there's an old you that's baptized and plunged into those waters. But when you come up out of those waters, there's a new you. There's something new that's happened in your life. It's not just that God wants to kill off some things that are destructive in your life. But he wants to grow some new things in your life. That's what happens when you are baptized. Verse 4 goes on to say, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. When you're baptized, you come out of the water a completely renewed person. He goes on and he writes, and this is what connects to the scriptures that we started in in 1 Peter. Verse 5 of Romans chapter 6. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also should, shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Here's the key word that I want to pull a thread on and pull us into the message this morning. It says that since we've been united together with him, in the likeness of his death. That's what happens when we repent and we are baptized and buried in that water. He says, just as we've had that experience, we will also experience not just his death, but the power of his resurrection. That's why 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, our key verse this morning, that's why it says that when we're baptized, baptism doth also save us. 
How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the focal point of our faith. Hear me this morning. I don't have faith in the water in the tank. The water is just water. I don't have faith in the structure that we're in right now. It's a beautiful structure, but it's just, stru- it's just building materials. The focal point of our faith, what we believe in, what we stake everything on, what actually changes something and activates a spiritual change in our life is your faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hear me. I believe in Jesus' miracles, but there were other miracle workers in the Bible. I believe in Jesus' teachings as authoritative, but there are other teachers in Scripture as well. But when Jesus resurrected from the dead, hear me this morning, when he came out of that grave with the keys to death, hell, and the grave in his hand, there was something that separated him from everybody that had come before him. He was no longer just a miracle worker. He was no longer merely a teacher, but he was confirmed. This is God manifest in the flesh, and he has overcome the number one enemy of mankind. He has broken the curse of sin, and he has overcome death. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is what you need to make the object of your faith. Because without the resurrection, baptism would just be an empty gesture. It would represent a burial with no resurrection. Who wants to go into the watery grave but not come out a new person? Not me. But when we lay hold of the fact that Jesus resurrected from the dead, Confucius is in the grave. Buddha's in the grave. Muhammad is in the grave. All the other ones are in the grave. Jesus is in heaven. Jesus is alive today. We serve a living God. He's alive today and he is alive forevermore. The scriptures say Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that settles it. When you are baptized, you are appealing to that resurrection power to do the work of cleansing the sin out of your life. That's why we can say for certain, Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Faith in what? Faith in the object of my faith, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's not a power, more powerful moment in human history than when he came out of that grave alive. Because it's not of ourselves. We're not saved by what we do. I'm not saved because I decide to get dunked in the water. I'm saved because I believe that Jesus is everything he says he is. And that he came out of that grave. And that he wants to transfer that power into my life to do a new thing. That's why by grace through faith. Not of my own works. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest anyone should boast. We don't boast about being baptized. The, the baptism in the water is a gift of God. It's, it's a, the forgiveness of sin is not something I earned. The remission of sin is not something that I'm able to manufacture on my own. It is a gift of God. It is only by the grace and mercy of God that it's able to happen in your life. The only thing you bring to the table is your faith.
But when your faith gets mixed in with the power of God and the power of his resurrection, when it starts to mix with your faith, it produces a true repentance. It produces an obedience in your faith. That's why I was very particular a moment ago when I said that Noah, for 120 years, he didn't just believe the word of God, but the brother started cutting trees down. And he started nailing planks together. And board by board and level by level. You know what saved Noah in the end? It was God's plan that saved Noah. But you know how Noah got involved in it? He believed it and he started to work on it. So it is with us. We bring our faith to the table. And when our faith is true and our faith is genuine... True faith always produces obedience. If you believe it, you act upon it. If you don't really believe it, then you're not going to act upon it. Those are just the facts as they occur. The, and if, when the object of your faith is Jesus Christ and his resurrection, who he is and what he did, and when your faith is real and genuine, it always produces repentance. And what it, the kind of faith that it produces, the kind of action that it produces is this. It brings you to the place where you say, I'm going to pattern my life after his life. I'm going to take the pattern that he established, and I'm going to apply it to my life, and I'm going to let the old me pass away, and I'm going to see, let him bring something new to life in me, and I'm going to live pleasing unto him. We have a way to do that. We have a way to do that. It would be unfair and not very nice of God for us to expect him to emulate him and imitate him, but not give us the way to do it. The way to do it is we need to look at the pattern of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Like I said, there's never been a more powerful event in human history than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It changes everything. It changed everything. It brought us out of the Old Testament into the New Testament. It changed everything. And so that pattern needs to be applied to your life. And here's how it happens. I've preached about it last week. I'm preaching about it now. Probably the Lord willing going to preach about it next week a little bit too. And probably a whole lot more Sundays to come. Because it's the only saving message. We call it the new birth experience. You're spiritually born again of the water and of the spirit. Jesus, this isn't a connection we made on our own. This is a connection that Jesus himself made. He says you must, in order to see and be part of the kingdom of God... You need to be born again of the water and of the spirit. And what Jesus is talking about, he's saying you need to repent of your sins. That's the death. You need to be, uh, you need to be baptized in the water. That's the burial. And you need to be filled with the gift of God's spirit. That's the resurrected life. That is the pattern of salvation. That is the plan of salvation for the New Testament. And it all starts with faith. When you believe it, you act upon it because you see it in the word of God, you see it in the life of other people, and you act upon it. There is a particular way to be baptized. We believe that the scriptures bear out that you must be baptized by full immersion. That's what ba the word baptism means to be completely dunked under the water, fully immersed in the water. There's no connotation of sprinkling. There's no connotation of something being poured on you. The word baptism in its very, its very word, the very word itself, and then every time we actually see it played out on the pages of Scripture, 
It involves someone being completely immersed in the water. Also, every time that somebody's baptized in the New Testament church, they're baptized only one way, and it's in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's important. Let me tell you why. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says this. This is one of the apostolic voices of the first century who was there, an eyewitness. Here's what he says. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. We've been talking about how baptism is what cleanses us from sins, and John says that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. So somewhere in baptism, the blood of Jesus Christ from Calvary covers and deals with my sin. The price that he paid at Calvary activates and covers my sin somewhere in baptism. We believe that the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that he made at Calvary, is brought into baptism when we call on his name. We call on the name of Jesus, and that when we call on the name of Jesus, the sacrifice of Calvary is called upon for your sins and cleanses you from all sin. Paul, I'll give you a couple places in scripture where this is borne out. Paul tells the story of his own conversion in Acts chapter 22. And he's talking to one of the high authorities in government. And Paul says, why now are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. There it is. Wash away your sins, arise and be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. What's the name of the Lord? Jesus. Here's another voice from, the, we've, we've, we've gone to John, we went to 1 John. I want you to see the, the multitude of voices here. We went to 1 John, we went to Acts and heard what Peter had to say, or Paul had to say about it. Now let's look at what Peter said to Cornelius, Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verse 43, Peter is in the home of a man named Cornelius, and he says this, he's preaching, teaching to them. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, Jesus, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Remission of sins in the name. That's where the blood is applied. That's why it's important to be baptized by full immersion in the name of Jesus. And here's what they understood. All three of those individuals, I just went to John, we went to Paul, and we went to Peter. All three of those individuals and everybody at large in the New Testament church back then understood that belief would always lead to repentance and water baptism. That true belief, true faith in the message of Jesus Christ would always lead to repentance and water baptism. That's why it says in Mark chapter 16, verse 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned. That's why Peter preached the message of salvation a particular way on the day of Pentecost, a verse we quote often around here. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 says, Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, there's something powerful that happens. Your sins are remitted. The blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus at Calvary, 
a perfect man dying for the sins of the whole world is activated and put your sins into remission when you're baptized. Genesis chapter 6 says this. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits and its width 50 cubits and its height 30 cubits. And then God proceeds to give Noah a whole lot of directions and specifications for how he is to build the ark. Verse 22 of Genesis chapter 6 testifies that at the end of the project, thus Noah did. According to all that God commanded him, so he did. Genesis chapter 7, verse 7, the very next chapter, says, So Noah, with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives, went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Noah and his family were brought safely through the flood in that ark, without which they would have certainly perished. 1 Peter chapter 3, the scripture that we read earlier, verse 21, uses a word antitype. Antitype means that there's a corresponding symbol. It means that when you look at Noah in Genesis chapter 6 and 7, and you see the ark, and you see the flood, and you see God's salvation plan for Noah and his generation, that that's the type. And what Peter is saying, he's drawing our attention to the New Testament reality of baptism in the name of Jesus. And he's saying that it is an anti-type. It is connected in symbolism to what Noah and his generation experienced, because there's a water element in both of these, aren't there? And whereas in Noah's story, the water was the judgment and the water caused, they needed to be saved from the water. And there was an ark and there was directions. There was a particular plan and pattern of salvation that God graciously provided to Noah and his family. So also in the New Testament, in the day that we live in today, there is a pattern and plan of salvation that God is providing for each and every one of us so that we can be saved from the judgment of God that's coming upon our generation. Like the ark was God's plan to save eight souls through the water. The blood of Jesus Christ is what is going to save us through water baptism in his name. I'm here to preach to you this morning as the musicians come that when you are baptized in the water, the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to you through his name. And when the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to your life through being baptized in the name of Jesus, your sins are remitted. I want to say it very clearly this morning. Until you are water baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you are not saved. 
I, it brings me no joy making exclusive statements like that. But the word of God bears out to us that it is absolutely essential that we be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's why the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, Baptism doth now save us. Hold that story of Noah in your mind for just a moment and hear what I'm about to say. Baptism separates you and sets you apart from the unsaved in the same way that that ark of gopher wood stood between Noah and his family and everybody that was trying to claw their way into that ark. It separated them. There's, there's a division that takes place. And when you're baptized, you step into new life. Just like the water separated Noah and his family from the unsaved and the judgment waters of that flood, when we're baptized, there's a wall that goes up. And the sacrifice of Jesus Christ at Calvary stands between you. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place right now. The blood of Jesus Christ stands between you and all the nonsense of this world and all the judgment that God is going to pour out on this world for sin and wickedness. There's a wall that goes up when you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Baptism corresponds to the other ways that God has saved people in the past. I understand what an antitype is. I understand what symbolism is. But hear me right now. Don't walk away feeling this morning like everything I'm speaking to you about baptism is figurative. I understand what an antitype is. I understand what symbolism is. Sometimes it's not figurative, Brother Joe. But I have this conviction. I really believe that Noah actually built a boat. I believe that Noah actually had to cut some trees down and that it wasn't enough for him to hear the message and just receive it in faith. But there was a literal dimension to what Noah needed to do to act upon his faith. And I believe that the Apostle Peter, this voice from the first century, is telling us that just as there was a literal dimension to what Noah had to do in his generation to be saved, there is a literal dimension to what each one of us must do to be saved in this generation. You must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. No one would argue for a moment that the story of Noah and what Noah did in his lifetime was merely symbolic, that it was just figurative. And no one can make a biblical case that water baptism is only a symbolic gesture that isn't really necessary to salvation. The early church understood, and we understand today, that water baptism in the name of Jesus is absolutely essential to salvation. Let me say it this way as we all stand. When you are baptized, it's a little bit like you climbing up into that ark. When you're baptized, it's like you're taking a step 
on the ramp up into that ark. That's what the Apostle Peter is describing to us. Did you know that on the ark, there was only one door? A lot of boats today, they have all different kinds of entry points and access points, but the ark was designed such that there was only one entry point. There was only one way to access salvation. Can I tell you this morning that it is the same today? That there's only one way to be saved? And it's through believing that Jesus Christ really did rise from the dead. And because he did, it changes everything. And he's left me a pattern just like he gave to Moses or just like he gave to Noah. He's left me a pattern to where I can be saved. Can we lift up our hands all over this room right now? The Holy Ghost moved into this room just a few moments ago. And he's ministering in this place right now. And as they start to play and we start to enter into a time of song, can we be sensitive to what God wants to do? Because God's dealing with hearts today. These altars are open. Somebody can step out of where they are right now and start to make a move towards God. Maybe you can start to step out of where you are and find a place of prayer around one of these altars or around the sides and the edges of this room, wherever you need to be. Hear me right now, brother.